Morning, church. Morning. How are you doing? Good. Are you squeamish? Yeah. Who's squeamish? Oh, that's good. Chris is squeamish. Oh, so at least we got one. For some people, the sight of blood just sets you off, doesn't it? You know, and it, it can be very true that little blood can go a long way. When Kazzy was less than a week old, um, the nurse in the hospital said, her fingernails are very long, you ought to cut them. So we had the little scissors, and I cut the top of her finger off. Oh, <laughs> the blood flowed. <laughs> it was terrible. I don't think she's ever recovered, to be honest. Um, <laughs> worse than that, I used to work in pathology. No, only, only a tiny bit of a finger, not all of it, Fraser. Just a tiny little bit at the top. <laughs> worse than that, I used to work in pathology labs. I was actually a microbiologist. More specifically, I was a bacteriologist. But when I was a junior in the labs, you had to do your rotation into the different departments. And I'd spend a while working in the blood bank or um, blood transfusion part. Um, you seen a unit of blood in the plastic bag? You ever seen one of them dropped? Oh my word. I only ever saw it once, one of those bags split. And it was messy. By gum it was messy. You would have thought a massacre had taken place. A little bit of blood goes an awful long way. I was going to tell you a cricket story, which, um, you know, if Pete's preaching, there's got to be a, a cricket story somewhere, hasn't there? But I decided it was too gory, so I'm not going to. Ask me afterwards, all right? <laughs> we don't talk about blood much in the church, which is quite unusual, really, because... The blood of Jesus being spilled for you and for me is such a vital part of our faith. Probably the only time we really talk about it much is at communion, which is just handy because we're having communion later on. But in other parts of the world, in other um, denominations, in other traditions, the blood of Jesus or the blood of the Lamb will be preached nearly every Sunday. You won't go into Northern Ireland, where go to church in Northern Ireland for very long without hearing the blood of the Lamb preached, even today. It's an amazing. When I went over, there, I just couldn't believe it. It seems to be all they talked about. It was amazing. But you know, do you want to know? It's not pleasant. It's not a sanitised thing that we're talking about. We sometimes treat what happened to our Lord Jesus Christ as a very sanitised, clean thing. It wasn't. It was grim. It was a total, violent, gruesome act that spilled the blood of the Lamb. It was a total and utter violation of the sinless Son of God. The execution of Jesus was horrific in the extreme. So much so that the Romans themselves actually outlawed crucifixion a while after Jesus died. But Jesus was not only psychologically and emotionally tortured, but he was physically tortured. He, his back was whipped, probably 39 times, probably, with leather thongs, with 
sharp shards, sharp, that's not easy to say, sharp shards of stone or glass in them, tied in, and his back was ripped apart with that whip. Probably to the point where bones showed through. Blood pouring down. And then he was made to pick up the instrument of his own execution and carry it on that bloody back. And struggled so much they had to get somebody to help him carry it to the place of his death. And then huge rough iron nails were hammered into his wrists, nailing him to the crossbeam of the instrument of his death. This isn't sanitised. This isn't nice and clean. This is horrible. But it's what Jesus went through for you and me. It's what Jesus chose to take on his own body and to spill his own blood that we could be set free. That is just stunning, folks. It is just amazing. And at the last, a sword was shoved into his side and the Bible tells us that blood and water poured out. There's so many scriptures around the blood of Jesus that it's difficult to encompass it all. You know, I've really struggled this week to try to pull together what I want to say around this. But we must always, always, always remember and give thanks and remembrance for the fact that Jesus shed his blood for us. Amen. The blood of the Lamb Amen. for you and for me. <coughs> Why the Lamb? Because it was a sacrifice. I'm going off notes here. <laughs> I thought I knew this was going to happen. Why the Lamb? Because it's a sacrifice. If you go right back through the Old Testament, you can trace the blood of the Lamb. Some people call it the Crimson Trail, others the Scarlet Thread, running right through Scripture. And you can see that sacrifice was necessary to make atonement for sin. It's there, probably, in, I haven't done it, but probably in every book in Scripture. And all of those sacrifices... You know, in the Old Testament, where they sacrificed a lamb, it was like our sins were being put on that sacrifice to then go to God. But they weren't, they weren't acceptable. It wasn't enough. But then Jesus came as the only Son of God, the sinless, spotless one, to sacrifice himself for you and for me. Man. It is something that we need to remind ourselves of often. And you can trace so many different aspects of the blood. You can get into the whole fact that the blood of Jesus is the legit, gives us legitimacy. Because it's the, if you were to look at the court, a type of court situation, it's the blood of Jesus that pays the sin, pays the penalty for our sin. I've recently been quite caught up in and, well, I would say almost absorbed by uh, scripture in Revelation. Revelation 12, verse 11. It's, a, it's an interesting verse. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. I'll read it again. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. 
They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Did you know this scripture comes in the middle of a description of a battle in heaven? Let me read you a little bit of it. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come salvation, and the power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the land, by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Now, I've got to make the confession here. I'm no expert on Revelation. Revelation, I used to read it a lot as a young man. I probably haven't read it much in, my, in the last 20 years, if I'm honest. But it appears to me that after Satan was cast down out of heaven, he has roamed this earth looking for the people of God to try and kill, steal, destroy, maim, make ineffective in whatever way that he can. It also appears to me that we're in a period yet, we're in that period where Satan has not yet been destroyed totally. In Revelation 20, it describes how he will be thrown into the burning lake of sulfur. But we live in that sort of in between time, don't we? The victory was won by Jesus on the cross, but Satan is still active. So when scripture says, you will overcome, that's, uh, we should take note. <coughs> so we're in this period where Satan looks to destroy the followers of Jesus. And God says, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Now I want to concentrate today talking about the blood of the Lamb. But just a few comments about the rest of that, those verses as I go. First of all, many of us don't feel like overcomers very often. I know that. It's not, it's not it's stating the obvious really, isn't it? Um, in fact, quite a lot of us, rather than feeling like overcomers, quite often feel like hanging on by our fingertips. But Jesus says, you will, or God says, you will overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Amazing. And God sees us as overcomers. You're an overcomer. You're an overcomer. That's how God sees you. If you stay loyal and true to Jesus, you're an overcomer. That doesn't mean to say everything's going to be fine and dandy. I'll come back to that. I'm going ahead of myself. Sorry. <laughs> Let's go back to those other things in a moment. Because there are a couple of other um, phrases in this verse. They overcame by the word of their testimony. Interesting. 
my experience, my observation, is that people who are busting to tell people about their Jesus, people who are busting to share the reality of a life lived with the Son of God, people who seem to be so absorbed by that that it's all that comes out of their mouths, very rarely lead defeated lives. I would say they are some of the people who you would look at them and say they lead victorious lives. They are overcomers in Jesus. And it's fascinating. I've watched our mission community over the last couple of years. Is it really that long? Getting on for that way, 18 months, whatever it is. Um, I've watched them step out and share their faith in all sorts of weird and wonderful and varied and unusual ways, like by having a barbecue outside or having a jungle soap. That was before the MCs, actually, wasn't it? But all sorts of ways. And one of the things that I've seen as we do that is that actually there's an impact on us as well. I've seen the impact on our mission community as people have shared their faith in different ways. And it picks you up. It lifts you up. Let's not be afraid to share the word of our testimony. It also says they overcame by not loving their lives so much as to shrink from death. Whoa, that's a touch heavy, isn't it? That is, we're talking about martyrdom. That's what we're talking about. Now, interestingly, um, in the 20, it's reckoned that in the 20th century, there were more Christian martyrs than in the 19th centuries that went before it. Just think about that for a second. There were more people in the 20th century who were killed and murdered for their faith than in the previous 19 centuries. And quite often, you will read or hear stories of somewhere where somebody was martyred and that led to an outbreak of, an outpouring of God working in that geographic area where they were martyred. When I went to Argentina in the late 1990s and spent time in mainly Pentecostal churches out there, they would talk about the British missionaries that went out in um, horse-drawn wagons. I was, I, I was trying to look it up last night. I, couldn't, I can't remember this guy's name. But he went out there and all of his family died one by one. And he wouldn't give up. And he just went on sharing his faith, sharing his faith, and sharing his faith. Until eventually he was murdered for his faith as well. But these Argentinian Christians I spent time with, thanked God for that man. And they looked, they pointed me at their churches of thousands. And the church I was based in, in Buenos Aires, was a church of 5,000 people. It was stunning in the least. But I look now, here we are, Totnes, 1st of July, 2018. We are very unlikely, this may be good news, we are very unlikely to be martyred for our faith this week. We live in Western Europe in a situation where that isn't an issue. And I actually thank God for that. Um, I did hear somebody say a while ago that what the Western church could use is a good dose of persecution. Now, I'm not wishing that on us, don't get me wrong. But it was an interesting observation in that that draws out faith. Um, interesting. 
But this verse and this situation raises a question in me. You know, not loving their lives so much as the strength of death. Do we, in our nice, comfortable, easy living, Western European, even Southwest England, even Totnesian lives, do we sometimes love our lives so much that it hinders us living, overcoming victorious lives in Jesus? That sounds harsh. I know it sounds harsh. I don't mean it to be harsh. But it's a good question to ask ourselves. Are we so self-absorbed? Are we so selfish that it is stopping the blood of Jesus working in our lives? It is stopping us being victorious. I think I'm just going to leave that question hanging there. But if that strikes a note with you, talk to Jesus about it. Just go and talk to him and straighten it out with him. So, those are the other bits. But now back to the central theme of what I'm trying to say today and I'm trying to hang in there. I want us to listen to it's a medley of old hymns and songs around the blood of the Lamb. Um, some of you will recognise these, some of you won't. Some of the songs go back many, many decades. But let's just listen to this. It's sung by a Welsh guy, a guy called Hugh Pryde, who I had the privilege to know for a while. Um, and for me, so some of you might find this a bit cheesy. I've got to say that, OK? You might think, oh, that's a bit cheesy. But listen to the words.
<laughs> I get quite emotional. I was watching some of the older heads going along with that. Did it take you back a bit? <laughs> wonderful, wonderful songs. Actually, amazing theology in some of our old hymns. And there's an amazing theology in that hymn. You can listen to that and go, oh, wasn't that lovely? And then you listen to some of the words. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me pure again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. How precious is the blood that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now I said to you it wasn't clean and sanitised, didn't I? There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Where sinners plunge beneath that blood, lose all their guilty stains. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you, or evil, a victory win? There's power, wonderful power, in the blood. A full study of the blood of Jesus in Scripture would keep us here a long, long long time and we can't do that today so I'm just going to pull out a few little bits but if ever you want to study the blood of Jesus through the whole of scripture I can guarantee you won't be the same person at the end of it the biggest thing the core thing what Hugh was singing about there a lot forgiveness of sins being washed clean Ephesians 1, verse 7, In him we have redemption, through his blood, the, for, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with his riches, in, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Hebrews 9, verse 14. Hebrews, I, I was sitting in my bed the other night, I went, I said, so I'm going up early, I'm going to read, I'm trying to get this sermon together and it ain't working. Um, I'm going to go up to bed and read. I was reading Hebrews, which is a lot of that really is Paul's thesis on the sacrifice of Jesus and the legal way in which Jesus fulfilled all the needs required by the Lord God for salvation. And I found myself, I was sitting in bed and I was reading this thing, and I'm punching the air, I'm going, yeah, this is amazing. <laughs> Ephesians 9, verse 14. How much more then, and he was talking about the Old Testament sacrifices, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living Lord? Ooh. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. For you know it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed. 
from the empty way of life handed down to you by your forefathers. But, oh, I wish we had a wooden pulpit. I want to bang in the pulpit. <laughs> it's, 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 it's amazing stuff, people. How, um, where was I? Sorry. But the pressure, I'll start that one again. For you know it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your forefathers. But with the, with the precious blood of Christ, a land without blemish or defect. And Jesus himself, at the very first communion in Matthew, took the cup filled with wine. He said, drink. Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Ladies and gentlemen, if today you know you need forgiveness of sins, come to Jesus. Come and be washed in his blood. It's, it's, it's graphic, the, 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 the description, isn't it? But come and be cleansed because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and for me. If you have never, ever, ever given yourself up to Jesus, I said to Jesus, I want to be your follower, you can do that for the first time today. But do you know what? This is not just a one-off transaction. This is not a just once come to Jesus, be washed in the blood and everything fine and dandy. That's not how it works. This is an ongoing relationship. This is ongoing with Jesus. 1 John 1 verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. So as we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. It's not a one-off transaction. And do you know, there's no doubt that by reminding ourselves of the sacrifice of Jesus, the shedding of his blood, coming and saying, wash me clean again, Lord, if we did that regularly, we wouldn't be so lax about sin in our lives. I don't say that judgmentally, I'm the worst, I'm sure. But we sometimes get pretty... Um, brush it under the carpet about the sin that's still in our lives and if we, it's when we go back to the, the sacrifice of Jesus the blood of the lamb that we would hold that more closely we would be more careful with the way in which we live if we have besetting sins sins that are difficult to overcome sin that just keeps on tripping us up then can I suggest Go to the scriptures about the blood of the Lamb and remind yourself and remind Jesus of those scriptures. When we face temptations, he will help us overcome. Uh, Pam was here a couple of weeks ago and she, she was talking on different subjects really, but she was talking about if you're on train tracks, it's difficult to get off the train tracks. Yeah? I, I wanted to listen to it. I never got a chance this week. But um, sin that controls us, besetting sin obstinate sin can be like being on those train tracks and somehow we've got to shift tracks well claiming and being washed by the blood of the lamb every day when the temptation comes saying no I'm not going to do that because of the blood of Jesus will shift tracks away from that obstinate sin whether it's something that's been a few weeks, a few months, whether it's been 40, 50 years, the blood of Jesus is sufficient for it and can I encourage you 
that the blood, as the blood of the Lamb deals, helps us deal with habitual sin. Keep short accounts, guys and girls, sorry. <laughs> Keep short accounts with God. If you trip up, go straight back to him. Don't brush it under the carpet. You know, in some Christian circles, there's a lot of talk and teaching about pleading the blood. Have you ever heard the expression? If you've been in Pentecostal circles, you'd probably hear it quite a lot, particularly in some parts in America. You plead the blood of the Lamb over situations and circumstances. And I've got a certain sympathy with that teaching, and you can trace it through Scripture to a degree. But I think we also have to be careful that we don't just get into... um, It's like becoming a mantra. That it doesn't just, you know, oh, well, you know, I'll just claim the blood of the lamb over that and that'll be all right. Yes, we can claim the blood of the lamb over it. Of course we can. We can plead the blood of the lamb over it. But also, we need to walk in the light as well. Otherwise, it's just a load of superstition. I'll give you an example. If an alcoholic pleads the blood of the lamb over his alcoholism, so that he'd have victory over it, but he still keeps a couple of bottles of scotch in the cupboard and a six-pack in the fridge, I'd be fairly certain what the outcome would be. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? That we need to walk in the light as well. We need to sometimes take action. But, and that's a pretty extreme example I've used. But with all sin... We can be quite lax. You know, if we're gossips, it's very easy to say, to justify that. Well, yeah, I'll just tell you this for prayer. Yeah. In love, you know, we can justify ourselves. I've heard people justify out and out greed in that they could, if they had loads of money, they could bless the kingdom more. They didn't bless the kingdom the kingdom as it was now, which was a bit of a shame. (laughs) We can be very lax with sin. We can brush it under the carpet. We can look at other people and we say, well, my sin is nothing compared to that, so I'm all right. But the blood of the Lamb was sacrificed for every sin. And let's keep short accounts with God. Let's come back when we fall and asked to be washed in the blood of the Lamb again, to be set made free, made clean. Romans 12, and this is talking about, the bit I want to bring out of this is about us playing our part in it as well, being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's great mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your act of spiritual worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's a great prisoner's verse, actually. That when I used to work with prisoners a lot, they loved that verse, because they knew their minds had to be transformed. Um, how are our minds transformed? We need our minds being transformed, renewed. It can only happen through the sacrifice of Jesus, the sacrifice of Christ made for us. So I encourage you to meditate on some of these scriptures on the blood of the Lamb. Soak in them. Drag them up into your very being because they will help to transform our minds and we won't be lax with sin in our lives.
2 Timothy 1 verse 7. Sound familiar? Yeah? What's 2 Timothy 1 verse 7? Not you. <laughs> it's our verse for the year, isn't it? Altogether, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of, love, of power, love, and self-discipline. Self-discipline? I don't know if you remember the beginning of the year, Matt and I, we both said we were glad we didn't get that one to preach on. <laughs> but actually, God gave us, through his spirit, a spirit of self-discipline. So let's use that self-discipline in being ruthless with sin in our lives. And the blood of the Lamb will overcome. You know, sometimes we do need to pray and seek God and the covering of his blood over certain situations and circumstances. That's not, when I said, you know, we've got to be careful about pleading the blood, I'm talking about doing that as a mantra, doing it as superstition. But sometimes with knowledge and understanding, we will find ourselves in situations and circumstances where only the blood of the land will overcome. And we need to be prepared to walk, to walk in that type of life. I mean, Matthew 8, verse 16, 17, talks about where the disciples are given power on earth to cast out demons and to heal people. And Jesus quotes Isaiah 53, and that passage in Isaiah 53 goes on to say, by his wounds we are healed. So we need to understand that it is by the shedding of Jesus' blood that healing, deliverance, salvation, they're all tied up in there. And we've got to take time. It was no surprise really, this is quoted in, Romans 12, in Revelation 12, when the midst of Satan being cast down. And we need to be prepared and savvy in our Christian faith enough to claim the blood of the Lamb when we, if and when we need to do so. I'll give you an example. Oh, many, many years. I don't know if I've told you this before, some of you have told you this before, but many, many years ago, a friend of ours um, became a Baptist pastor, and he took up his first pastor in another part of the country, although he did study at Bristol Bible College, for those of you who've been doing things things there. Took up his post, his first post, we went to his induction service and he'd been there not many weeks and he phoned me up he said, Pete, can you come up? There's something not right here and I said, alright, look, I'm, because I used to travel all over the country for work, I said, look, I'm up your way in a couple of weeks' time, I'll, I'll come and stay the night and that. I said, but before I come up I want you to go through the church records and go through and see if you can find something that is, you know, because he just felt he was hitting a spiritual wall all the time. So when I got up there a couple of weeks later, he searched through the church records and also by divine revelation, it had become apparent that a previous minister, back in the 60s actually, had been high up in Freemasonry and had had Freemason meetings and ceremonies and all of that malarkey both in the church and in the manse. And uh, it was pretty horrendous. Well, it's the only <laughs> it was the only time I've ever sweated in prayer. I, I, I'm not joking. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And it was intense. 
And we were praying for breakthrough, to break the hold of this Freemasonry over that church. And I'm not not bigging myself up, but we must have prayed for two, three hours, something like that. And then we started to claim the blood of the Lamb over the church and over the man's in particular at that time. I can't do that. It was like a switch had been pulled. And you felt the evil leave. There are times when we have to be prepared and savvy enough to claim the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ over difficult situations and circumstances. We could go on looking at this right through the whole of the Old Testament, how the blood of the Lamb's our legal seal, healing, deliverance, salvation. But we haven't got time to do it all today. I just want to leave you with a few thoughts um, about overcoming, because that verse in Revelation 12, 11 talked about they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. We know we're not promised that everything will be fine and dandy, don't we? You know, if, if that's your view of what being a Christian is about, I'm sorry you're going to be disabused by that one way or another. We know that life throws all sorts of stuff at us. And some of it ain't pretty, and it ain't nice, and it ain't lovely. But sure as eggs is eggs, folks, if you choose to be a follower of Jesus, if you choose to live your life victoriously in him, at some stage, you will face spiritual attack. And yet God says we're overcomers. That's what God says. We're called to be overcomers through Jesus, whatever our circumstances. Despite our circumstances, sometimes we're called to be overcomers. 1 John 5, verse 4, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. They're the overcomers. I went to a funeral on Tuesday. Um, Dear friends, I'll tell you a little story. Um, When Sue and I were first married, we went to this church church near Reading. And there were two couples in this church. Um, One was called John and Ruth, and the other couple were called Ern and Brenda. Um, They were the two couples who gave us the most support as as a young married couple ourselves and when the kids were born, supported us with the kids. In fact, Brenda, um, Ernie's wife Brenda, it's generally reckoned that um, she was the only person who could get Kaz to sleep. But Kaz had a lot of trouble sleeping when she was little. And it's reckoned that Brenda was the only one who could get her to sleep. Ernie and Brenda couldn't have children of their own. Um, But they were overcomers. Ernie and Bren had a marriage that lasted 48 years before Brenda died. John and Ruth. Did you ever meet John? John Hoskin? When you were at CWR? He was one of the trustees. Sorry, just a little aside there. Um, John and Ruth had a marriage that lasted 48 years before John died. Both families, amazing, 
overcomers of Jesus. After Brenda had died and John had died, Ruth and Ernie, a little while later, came together and got married. It got very difficult writing Christmas cards. <laughs> You'd write, uh, John and Ruth. No, it's not. It's Ernie and Ruth. Uh, Ruth, Ernie, Ernie and Brent. No, it's Ernie and Ruth. It's very confusing. <laughs> but amazingly, between those four people, they had over 100 years of victorious Christian marriage. Um, Ernie died recently. I went to Ernie's funeral on Tuesday. Ernie was an overcomer. From his teenage years, when he got saved at a Youth for Christ rally, through into his 80s, when even in the last months when Alzheimer's robbed him of his faculties, he was an overcomer. And ultimately, Ernie today is an overcomer because he's sitting in heaven with Jesus. Because he is victorious. And he has overcome sin and he has overcome death because he always relied on the blood of the Lamb. I think that's amazing. The ultimate victory is there. A told us about dear Anne earlier on. And like all of us, I was really saddened to hear of Anne's death. And I don't understand why our prayers for healing didn't work. I, I can't tell you why. I don't understand that. But I do know that today, Anne Dunn is an overcomer. Because of the blood of the Lamb. Folks, I, I hope I've got somehow managed to get across a little bit of what I wanted to say today. Because it's so important that we trust in the blood of the Lamb. For every situation. Do you know what? If, um, if the letters to the seven churches in Revelations are to be believed... There's quite a lot of reward for being an overcomer. They're quite spectacular. And they include the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That's not bad, is it? <laughs> Overcomers will not be hurt by the second death. They will be given some of the hidden manna and a white stone with a new name on it, whatever that means. I can't, my theology's not good enough for that one, sorry. They were given authority over all nations. Be dressed in white and never have the name blotted out of the book of life, but their name will be acknowledged before God and the angels. This is you and me, folks, if we overcome. Be made a pillar in the temple of God and have God's name written on them. Wow. And the right to sit with Jesus on his throne. Oh my word. God calls us to be overcomers, ladies and gentlemen. I said at the start that a little blood goes a long way. But with Jesus, with Jesus' blood shed for you and me, it doesn't go a long way. It goes the whole way. Nothing else. The blood of Jesus shed for you and me does it. To wash us clean, to salvation, to redemption, to healing, to deliverance, to give us a way to be overcomers in this world, whatever our circumstances, and the world will not overcome us. The blood of Jesus goes the whole way. Think on it, dwell on it, absorb it. 
Use it in your Christian life, day by day. We're going to listen to another song now. Um, thanks, James, as we get this going. Again, it's my friend Hugh singing. Um, it's a song lots of us know. Here is love vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood, where the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. <clears throat> On the mount of crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide, through the floodgates of God's mercy, flowed a vast and gracious tide. Just to warn you, the first verse is in Welsh. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. 